This message was recorded at North 2012, an event organised by Christ Central, part of New Frontiers. You can find out more about Christ Central by visiting our website, ChristCentralChurches.org. Good afternoon. It's good to see all of you. Uh, thank you, Rob, for that wonderful introduction. Sometimes when they're introducing you, you have to look behind you and think, oh, is it, is it me he's talking about? Sometimes it's so good, but it's been wonderful to work with Rob and uh, the Bolton Family Church. And I can see a few of them uh, in the house. Uh, it's good to see all of you. Okay. Uh, let me just begin by saying thank you to, through Rob and uh, the leaders at North for the opportunity to stand um, uh, and just be able to share some few thoughts with you on uh, this very, very important topic on uh, loving communities. But also, uh, I feel that to Jeremy and the whole North team, it's just been uh, a good point, I think, in our relationship to just be able to be here and to connect. Uh, I would have loved for, loved for my wife to be here, Lillian. Uh, she's been to the UK uh, on my previous visits, but this one, uh, we felt probably our 18-month-old uh, 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 little girl may not like the camping, but uh, uh, there you go. But I was so wrong because the weather is so good. I, I was warned it's going to be raining. Uh, I've been uh, laying some uh, Wellington boots, so I've come all, so I'm a bit disappointed. Uh, it's, it's not raining. <laughs> uh, I think I should take off my coat. It's quite warm. Even for a Zambian, this is quite good weather. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. All right. Thank you, Rob. He's been serving me so well this man. God bless you. Okay, a little bit about me, because this is about um, uh, building loving churches. And if you come to a seminar like this, I believe it should be the most loving seminar you could ever attend uh, at a conference. After all, we are talking about loving communities. So let me begin by talking to uh, Rob, I think, has very well ably um, uh, uh, introduced me. Let me just add a word or two. Um, Joseph Mwila. If you could have the courage to try and pronounce my name, God bless you. But uh, Joseph is just fine. Um, I'm married to Lillian. We have four kids, uh, 19, 14, 10, and uh, almost two. I've written their ages there because men tend to forget. <laughs> is it just in Zambia or also here? <laughs> At least I know how many, and um, yeah, I think the trouble is they keep changing. So next year I have to remember the new ages again. So that's very hard. Um, we live in Zambia, as uh, Rob has mentioned. We we had the opportunity of staying in the UK for a while for studying, almost seven years in total. Uh, went back and uh, worked for an, uh, this huge church and had the privilege of rising up. Uh, through the ranks of leadership to become, maybe uh, some people say, second in command, if there's such a thing in church, uh, to the, the, the then bishop. It was a traditional church with all these structures. Um, um, big church, about three, 4,000 people. So I uh, was administrator in that church, and after a couple of years of doing wonderful things there, we felt late to go back into Kitui, where we, which is my hometown, to go and start a church we now call Dayspring Worship Center. Uh, I can hear myself, my echoes is well, very interesting. I wish I didn't have to use this, but they need it for, for recording. I, I hope they can do something with the echo, but uh, I'm okay. So uh, we are leading Dayspring, um, as Rob mentioned, from uh, uh, a small church of 20 people. Uh, uh, we now have uh, a church of uh, around 
four five hundred people and uh, planted ten other churches in neighboring towns. I think part of that is just really uh, the amazing grace of God as we try to build relationally as we'll be talking about this afternoon. So uh, we are part of New Frontiers, and I could tell you a little bit about the story, which is what Rob started, uh, uh, just indicating how that worked. I think that's important because as we're talking about loving relationships and being friends and just sharing life together, amazing things happen. And this, I think, our story is that in 2004, as Rob mentioned, I was invited back to the UK by a friend to speak and visit at one of their conferences. Uh, What I didn't realize then, uh, although we had a desire to connect with New Frontiers or connect to a network, uh, which at that point I didn't know which one it was, um, we ended up uh, in Rob's building, uh, Bolton Family Church, for those who don't know Rob, uh, uh, in, um, in Bolton near Manchester. And uh, we were, they, were, they had borrowed Rob's building, and uh, I was one of the speakers. To make a long story short, I ended up connecting with Rob. I, I thought he was such a good man. Uh, and that's what struck me. He extended friendship to me. Uh, we'll be talking about the power of that, uh, because I remember that moment. I'm meeting this man for the first time, but he just takes an interest uh, and uh, offered friendship to me. Uh, in my search for uh, a network we can work with. So Bolton Family Church actually uh, very generously offered to sponsor my next trip so I could uh, attend Brighton. And uh, from then on, it was meeting people. And one thing that really struck me about New Frontiers is how friendly you are how friendly people were uh, and how relational all these tea charts, uh, chatting over tea and people connecting. Uh, I think that is quite unique, really, from where I was coming from. I, was, I had been in a big church before, but um, I'd never seen that kind of interrelation. And that was one of the major attractions in becoming part of New Frontiers. It's the fact that... Uh, we are building re- re- relationally. At that time, I couldn't choose those terminals. I just didn't know what was going on. But whatever was going on was quite attractive to me. So uh, I ended up uh, connecting or getting to know people. Simon Petit, he's late. Some of you know him. Uh, did big things in Africa. Uh, through Rob, we were able to meet him. Of course, uh, I got to... Uh, Greet hands with Terry. To me, it was a big thing at that time. Uh, just to meet Terry, I just say hello uh, at a prayer meeting. Uh, um, and a few uh, other leaders around, later on, Gary, uh, who is helping oversee us in Africa, and um, other wonderful people who are, we, we've since have come to know. Why am I telling you this, beloved? The, the relational side of New Frontiers has been a big thing for me and for us, and we are trying to see how, um, uh, as I'll be sharing, that has helped us a lot in reaching uh, our communities. We are trying to build relationally, and uh, a loving community is something that God has called all of us to make. Can I hear an amen from someone? I know you're not used to that, but that's what we do in Africa. So please allow me for a moment to say, uh, say amen to your neighbor. <laughs> uh, make me feel at home. Uh, okay. So, so that's a little bit of a story. Uh, apart from the 10 churches, we've got about another uh, 10 or so who are looking into new frontiers. I have the privilege of being part of a team, an emerging t- team in Zambia that is uh, overseeing uh, um, what we are doing as New Frontiers in, in Zambia. That's quite exciting. And as you saw some of uh, as this morning, I think probably you may remember Zambia being mentioned somewhere, uh, and somebody who looked at me, like, like me actually, uh, appearing on that screen. I was shocked to find myself there. But there you go. Um, 
we, what we're doing is, is uh, uh, we feel this is a, a wonderful moment to again connect with the North and be able to work with you, uh, take the gospel into Africa and in particular uh, Zambia and surrounding nations. So thank you again for your support and we look forward to working together. I'm sure somebody has scored. All right, let's get to our topic. In the next few uh, minutes, 40 minutes or so, we'll be looking at a loving community, a growing church with unlimited reach. May I apologize if you can't understand uh, some of what I'm saying? Maybe it's my accent. Uh, so I'll try to slow down a bit. Uh, maybe the way you pronounce certain words is not the way I pronounce them. So I apologize in advance that uh, I may not sound uh, what you're used to. Uh, but then again, this is cross-cultural thing we are learning. And uh, thank you so much for uh, trying hard to understand me. Beloved, Christianity is built on relationships. When Jesus was asked a question, what is the most important command in the whole of the Bible? I think a teacher of the law asked him that. Jesus looked at him and he simply said, it is this, love God with all of your heart and then love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus summarized our entire Christian experience in those two commands. And when you look at them, they are all to do with relationships. My relationship with God and my relationship with my neighbor. If that summarizes our, uh, our Christian faith, beloved, I do believe that our churches um, are based on those two fundamental uh, instructions by the Lord. Incidentally, I noticed that later on, Jesus apparently seemed to add something to the second part. Because as we look at it in a moment, uh, Jesus uh, later on says, a new command I give to you. Now, initially I thought, well, he had said this, is, this summarizes uh, what's been there already. But in John 13, he comes back and he says, a new command. What, which new command? You already mentioned this has been out there and, and the rest. But I noticed that the last part of the second one, he kind of, I don't know, theologians are there to guide us, but he kind of changed it slightly. It says, instead of love your neighbor as yourself, he in that one says, love your neighbor or others as I have loved you. I feel or I think that takes it up a little notch, doesn't it? You know, because it's beyond just loving people the way I love myself. Well, that's debatable. It depends how much you love yourself. Some of us don't love ourselves at all. I mean, I had problems accepting myself. And if that's the way I would go to love somebody, I have some issues there. But I think Jesus sets a new standard I think he raises that command to a new level. He says, you not just love people the way you love yourself. You go beyond that. You love people the way I have loved you. So let me propose in the next few minutes, beloved, that we go through these three questions. The first one we'll look at uh, in this seminar as we explore this, uh, we'll look at the importance. Why? Is building loving communities so important? In other words, I want to ask, uh, as a church leader, and I believe many of you are, uh, is there another model? Uh, maybe we, we, I mean, we can't focus, maybe we shouldn't focus on building loving communities. Maybe we can focus on something else. I thank God it's one of the big values here. In fact, it's, it's, it's mentioned first here at North uh, uh, Christ Central. And... Um, uh, the way we're building our churches is uh, being friends, enjoying God together. That's our number one value. Maybe there is another, another way. Why is this so important? I think we'll look at that, and we may spend quite a bit of time on that. Then, secondly, uh, if this is so important, why aren't churches doing it? Part of it is barriers, and we'll look briefly at some barriers to building 
loving relations, uh, a, a loving community. Um, and also, finally, if we have time, we'll look at some, some keys to help us build that kind of community. Um, I know I'm talking to people that are leaders. Many of you teach. So please feel very free so we can together just share together. I'm trying, I'll try not to preach at you. Uh, in Africa, we preach a lot. Uh, so I'm sure Rob will wave at me and say, Joe, this is a seminar. Hello. No preaching. Uh, so uh, uh, let me kick start this thing by going to the, my first question and looking at... Uh, um, why loving communities? Um, why loving communities? Is there another model for doing church? How about a different, in different cultural contexts? I'm coming from Zambia. We are generally very relational. And um, uh, having lived in the UK for seven years, I think uh, I realized that uh, the culture in the UK is obviously different. Uh, the cultural contexts are different. How do... Does this work in any cultural context you are? Is love such a draw in this context as it is in other cultures? In fact, some of you may be called into different cultures like coming to Zambia, which Rob does and others. Um, How do we build in those cultural contexts? Is there another model? Beloved, I want to begin. uh, Let me give you a few reasons why I feel this is important from the Bible. Number one reason, building loving communities is very important because it is modeled in the Trinity. I think God starts off by showing us loving communities by Him being in a loving community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, You see, in the beginning, God, with the Spirit and the Lord, as we are told in the Bible, they created the world. And I like it as Jesus was praying for the disciples. He said this. He said, Father, I pray, in John chapter 17, verse 21, he says, I pray that they may be one just as we are one. What he was trying to see in the disciples is something that God um, uh, already was. God lives in team, as some, some, some of our leaders will say. They are in team, the Trinitarian team, the t- Trinitarian model. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If you read the book of John, which many of us have done, um, you will see Jesus referring to that community throughout his entire ministry. As I see the Father, so I do. I never do anything unless I what I see the Father uh, doing. And uh, uh, I think we see that that, that community, uh, that kingdom, so to say, is what Jesus uh, and the Lord uh, God was bringing back down to us. The second model, the second reason I could talk about is right from the beginning. Right from the beginning of creation, I think God initiated the first community and man was meant to live in community and not in isolation. Maybe let's read this one in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. Because in that passage of scripture, what strikes me most is that God had created the sun, the moon, the stars, and after each one he would say, it was Good. And he created the oceans, he said it was good. And the stars and everything else, it was good. But in verse 18, look at this. If you have your Bible, I'll read it in the NIV version. In verse 18, it says, uh, of chapter 2, it says there, Hope I can see verse 18. I've just broken my glasses, but I can, I can see them. Verse 18 says, The Lord God says, It is not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper suitable for him. Now, I know I preached on this one on many wedding ceremonies, you know, in 
wedding people are you know we it's a lovely classical scripture we use don't we when two people are getting married so and when the spirit led me to this one i thought oh it's not this is not a wedding it's a workshop for goodness sake i mean this doesn't apply then i looked at it i said but yeah, he was bringing Eve to him. But I think the principle is this. If you look at verse 19, uh, verse 20 actually says uh, uh, later on there that for man, for Adam, there was nothing, no suitable companion for him. He was naming everything, but there was nothing suitable uh, uh, as a suitable companion. So God says it's not good for man to be alone. Let me just zoom on on that one for a uh, for a second, uh, uh, that you see, loneliness, whatever the cultural context, loneliness is the biggest, most critical social problem uh, for man, wherever they are, whether it's in Africa or in the UK. In fact, uh, statistics will show you that uh, uh, it's the number one, probably number one uh, most uh, uh, common reason for people committing suicide it's just loneliness a lot of things that man does is to break this loneliness god declared it's not good for man to be alone my experience i could share with you the first time i came to london uh, as a, a a student i i, I spent some time uh the, I, I remember the first month was quite difficult uh first of all there was the excitement of the flight into the uk uh and uh, just landing in london you see where i'm coming from in in africa most of the people see the uk as this sort of small paradise so anyway, you live in a small paradise as far as we are concerned in Africa. You may not think like that, but some people think like that. And I had the same concept. This is a beautiful place. It's, uh, yeah, a lot of facilities, good housing, uh, and I was sponsored, so I had a bit of money in my pocket. Um, it was just a good experience. I, I, I arrived in London. And then after a month, the reality of loneliness hit me away from family away from everything I knew. Never mind the different culture. Just being alone was so painful that um, I needed to find a way of quickly plugging in. And in fact, for me, because I was already a Christian, I knew the number one thing was to find a good church where I could quickly plug in and begin to relate to people. And I want to tell you, beloved, it wasn't that easy. But I just want to say to you this. I was so lonely, so lonely that everything else I had just began to get less and less and less meaningful. Um, and there are people in our communities, beloved, who are there. They may look rich. They may have everything you think they need. But they are so lonely. They are so lonely. And unfortunately, some of these people have come to our churches and they've just felt just as lonely after being to church. Uh, I trust that uh, uh, when people come to your church, that won't be the experience. They will find people are so loving, so accepting, and uh, so uh, inclusive. They will invite them in, and they will not feel lonely. Can I hear the men from somebody? <laughs> Thank you. So, um, loneliness. God says it's not good for a man to be lonely. Now, I think that's a powerful evangelistic thing to, to bear in mind even as we reach people because they are looking to belong. We are called to belong, not just to believe. We find our meaning by associating with others according to Romans chapter 12 and verse 4 to 5. God initiated the first community, and so he brought Eve to Adam to break the loneliness so they can be together. And he commanded them then to multiply and fill the earth. He was creating a loving community where man could be. Third reason. Are you still following me, or is my accent getting in the way? Okay. Uh, Jesus, now look, I said that it's a Trinitarian model. God created the first uh, community. And Jesus, when he came down on earth, he actually started a loving community by picking the first 12. Now come with me to Mark chapter 3. And uh, here's the beginning 
of the time that Jesus had with the disciples. Uh, to look at that, because we want to build this and then later on, hopefully, uh, be able to apply it uh, um, uh, in our churches. But look at Mark, if you can find Mark chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, and read it for us. I'll be very most grateful if you could do that, if you find it. I know when we're camping, we don't move around with Bibles, you know, it's, it's a camp. Uh, somebody found it, uh, uh, Mark chapter 3. Chap- yes, please. Thank you so much, sir. It's number 13 that I'm interested in. He said he called those he wanted. And uh, they are mentioned in verse 14. But he said this. He says, when he called them to him, that they might be with him. That was the first thing. That they might be with him. And then secondly, that he might, uh, they might, he might send them out and that they might have power over, over sicknesses. Now, I call that in my own uh, small way, the job descriptions for the disciples. I mean, he was setting the ground rules as to why he called them to be with him. And that's number one. To be with him, to share life with him. He didn't just want to have a bunch of guys who would go out for missions who have never been in relationship with him. I know we're talking about salvation, but it went beyond just them being converted. Because that later on became a key thing, uh, as you see, uh, as an identification for the disciples. They had been with Jesus. They had been friends with him. They walked together. They saw him tired. They saw him hungry. They saw him almost stranded. You remember on the lake they were gone. Jesus is somewhere else not transport. He walked on the lake to get to where they were. I mean, they were in all sorts of situations with Jesus. Jesus modeled community with the disciples and that became the basis of the work they were to do later. Our churches are based on that loving model of loving communities. It is, in fact, our main tool for outreach. Later on, Jesus, in chapter 13 of John, and verse 34, verse 35, I'm sure you all know that one. That's a classic one I referred to later. Um, Jesus said to them, he says, As a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you. And I've just underlined that. As I have loved you. Because they spent time with Jesus and in loving relationship. Just, it was three years not just of... Um, and sometimes I, I used to imagine they were just uh, doing lessons or discipleship lessons. You know, it was like a class. You know, so you do stuff. But I think there is a dimension that it was more than just Jesus dishing out lessons to them. He says, as I have loved you. It was experiencing life together with these guys. This impacted them so much. I mean, pick John, for example. He, when he writes the book of First John, and in verse 1, uh, chapter 1 and verse 3, he says there, he says, What we have seen and heard and touched, we share with you. I mean, he's talking about his experience with the Lord. That, 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 uh, then he says that you may have... Uh, Fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Son uh, and, and the Father. So he links in that, that experience was so important because it built the foundation for any future relationships with anybody else. Jesus initiated a loving community and uh, he actually uh, included the disciples in it and they uh, spent three years loving one another, enjoying life together. You notice that people notice that because in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13 there when the disciples started going out and giving witness people notice something. 
It wasn't their education because it says there that people realized that they were unschooled. My understanding means they were not educated. So it wasn't their education that propelled them. It wasn't their experience that propelled them. But you notice there in verse 13 of Acts chapter 4, it says, and people noticed that they had been with Jesus. So what am I emphasizing? Uh, Beloved, Jesus modeled I initiated a loving community of, of disciples. And this one, I, I keep imagining that they, had a, they had fun together. You know, healing the sick. I mean, uh, raising the dead. You know, such fun. Uh, like we saw last night. You know, people being healed. Uh, I mean, this is um, uh, what we are called to do, beloved, is to share life together. The good times and the bad times and the sad times. They were there when Lazarus died. When Jesus delayed to go. And uh, uh, the drama that happened when Jesus arrived and uh, turned this uh, uh, sad moment into a glorious moment. They were with Jesus. Peter could testify. They went up the mountain with him. And it was so glorious to see him transfigured before, uh, before uh, the prophets. Uh, and uh, even suggesting be, uh, to Jesus, let's stay here. Let's just build tents. They were camping. Uh, build tents. And uh, let's stay here. Um, so they were with Jesus. They saw him do glorious things. They were with Jesus even when they fell. They came down to the foot of the mountain and they had failed to cast out a demon. Jesus was with them throughout. Beloved, our Christian experience, if I go ahead of myself, is to be life together. Not just good times. You know, I had that wrong impression when I came into church. Like, you know, when you're at church, you put your best, in England you say the best foot forward, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you just have this picture that you feel everybody needs to see of you. And the rest of it has better remain at home. Beloved, that's not authentic Christian experience. We've just got to be ourselves. Amen. And I, in, in, in many ways, I, I, I envy uh, you here in the UK. Because um, if I divert that just a little bit on that one, um, that uh, I come from Africa, which is generally seen to be a very communal Society, we live together, we share things together. And um, talking about a topic like this, you think, well, in Africa, it should come naturally because already the community is very together. We, we already do stuff together. But I say yes and no. Yes, it is true to some extent, but, but no. Actually, there is a lot of uh, uh, what I'm talking about that we yet have to learn in Africa uh, because uh, as uh, I thought what uh, what Dave talked about this morning yeah, was very, I mentioned to Rob I said this is huge in Africa because uh, we yet have to learn what authentic uh, uh, Christian relationships and just living, being yourself uh, not trying to pretend to be something you're not um, you see a lot of that in our churches but uh, hopefully by God's grace we will get there that we are meant to share life together Amen I was going through the reasons why this is important I was on number three Okay, number four let me give you a few more so we're taking, we're taking this sort of a little walk. We talked about Trinity being in community. We talked about Adam and Eve, God putting them in community. We talked about the early disciples. Jesus created a loving community for them. Now, uh, we come to Acts, and we can say this, that the early church modeled a loving community, and that was the foundation for their amazing church growth and missions. So I want to combine it now to those. Now, Acts chapter 2, verse 44. It says there that those who believed were, help me somebody. Those who believed were, ah, let's see if you can pick that word. Acts chapter 2, verse 44. Those who believed were, together. together. Thank you. (laughs) 
I knew you were a moving Bible, somebody. Uh, you could read it without reading it. Uh, all those, that's Acts chapter 2, verse 44. And those who believed were together. And they had all things in common. Amen. Those are two big words. Together. And they had all things common. Now I pick the first word. All those in the NIV, KJV, New KJV and others. Uh, it begins by saying all believers. All those who believed were together. I think that um, uh, we've got to take every Everybody with us. This is not just for a small section of, uh, uh, of church. You know, like, there are some people who are naturally loving, and there are the rest of them who, you know, it's not their cup of tea to be relational. We'll come to that in a moment. Uh, but all believers were together. Um, the early church, and this is early on, this is Acts chapter 2, they had just been saved. And the first thing is being together was important. You remember, you now you marry that with Jesus' uh, uh, initial invitation that, um, guys, the 12 of you, the first thing is that you are to be with me. And those who believed were together. Now, if you read verse 41 of the same chapter, it says those who believed were, or, or those who believed devoted themselves to four things. To the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread, and to prayers. You know, and one of the key things they uh, will pick up is they were committed to fellowship, which is being together. Uh, beloved, we've got to be intentional about, about this. Loving relationships just don't happen. We've got to be intentional. And I've written here, no commitment, no community. Um, without commitment to raising uh, a loving community, a sense of community doesn't just happen. We, we've got to work at it. We've got to allow the Spirit to do this. Now, it says fellowship there. Fellowship is not just casual conversations and socializing. You know, we are having fellowship. I think it means that, but it, I think it's more than that. It's more of what we see in Psalms 133 and verse 1. How beautiful and wonderful it is for brothers to dwell together again in unity. For there the Lord commands a blessing even life forevermore. Isn't that beautiful? It's wonderful. Uh, so, it, it, it's a beautiful thing. In the sight of God, this is wonderful. Beloved, that's a community God is raising among us. We are reflecting uh, the kingdom of God. We're reflecting Trinity. We're reflecting what Jesus was doing. And this is what the disciples were doing. And at the back of this togetherness and having everything in common, in fact, it says something amazing, which uh, in Africa, that, that's a big thing. It says, uh, there was no one among us them with lack. Because everybody shared. And the other thing that's, that's striking about that in Acts is that they met daily um, in the temple courts and breaking bread from house to house. You're just seeing this wonderful togetherness, a community of believers loving God, doing stuff together, meeting each other's needs, just being a powerful witness. And then two extra things happen. This is why I've said for growth. It says... And the Lord added to their number. No doubt that was happening. Now I call that the attraction of love. The attraction uh, of, of, of the grace of God. As believers enjoy the grace of God, we live together. We exemplify it. It's real among us. That the people outside have no choice but to see it. And they are attracted by it. They are drawn by it. People come and they see something about us that is so attractive. They, um, they just uh, get connected to this. They want to find out why are you different in a world that doesn't care. Why are you so different? Why are you, are you, are you caring for one another when we are in a world where nobody uh, really wants to know what's happening to their next door neighbor? Why are you so interested? Because we, 
we reflect something of the love of God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. Sorry, I shouldn't be preaching. I should come down. <laughs> are you following me? Uh, are, you, are you enjoying this? Okay. So, uh, now, let me just zoom in on fellowship. Let me just say a few things on fellowship. Um, and, and no doubt, uh, if we had time, I'm sure m- many of you can give us loads of ideas uh, and, and your own experience on how to enhance fellowship. Beloved, fellowship includes true fellowship. True, authentic, genuine fellowship includes unselfish loving. Where we love one another unselfishly. It's honest sharing. It's not just sharing the good parts, but being able to open up. uh, It's practical serving. We serve one another. Sacrificial giving. Like the way we were doing this morning, because really we are going beyond ourselves. We give of ourselves uh, to other situations and other people. It's sympathetic, comforting. It's not just comforting, it's sympathetic. It's really feeling along with the person. And, uh, you know, whichever culture you are in, that is irresistible. Nobody can resist that. That is so attractive. And when you find an authentic person able to exude that kind of love and commitment, uh, that kind of heart, it's so attractive. Uh, you get drawn in. Uh, if I had time, I could have talked about the four levels of fellowship, but we'll, we'll skip those. Let me just mention them in passing. Uh, there are different levels of fellowship. Uh, the basic one is sharing. You know, we teach our children to share, don't we? Uh, right from the, an early age, we want our kids to know how to share. We give them an extra scorn, and we hope that we share with their friend. Uh, that's a good thing to do. Um, and that's fellowship, really. Uh, it's, it's, it's such a simplest form where we share. And there's been a lot of sharing going on uh, you, before you take your cup of tea, uh, somebody comes and offers to make you one, uh, or is it just me? Uh, but there's loads of that. It's just been wonderful. Huh? Some people have been sharing tents. That's good. I'm sharing a room with, with rope. That's wonderful. I feel honored. Uh, so sharing. The second one is studying the word together. You know, they share that fellowship in the word. This is what we do on Sunday. We gather together. In small groups, we, we, we gather together. We have fellowship around the word. Those who are committed come out and they want more. And we gather around the word. The fellowship of serving is the third one, if you like. Serving one another. In a fellowship of actually serving one another. I've, I've really enjoyed with, uh, I, I know many churches are doing that, but being in the tent for, for Botton Family Church, which I, I guess is the same thing happening there. And, you know, there's rotors and uh, who's doing the dishes, uh, uh, yeah, who's cooking, who's, serving, who, who's doing the cleanup. You know, it's, it's just nice. Every, you see, we have fellowship by serving one another. You, you know, uh, that's part of the fellowship. And uh, I, I, I like that. I was asking Rob, how, how have you managed to do this? And he says, oh, it's still struggling about it. Uh, but I think it's wonderful when we serve one another. Amen. And then finally, I think the deepest level is fellowship of suffering. Remember what I said? Sharing, studying, serving, and suffering. I think suffering, you remember Paul says that in Philippians chapter 3 verse 10, don't you? He says that I may know him and the, uh, uh, and the, where is our walking Bible again? Uh, uh, That I may know him and, uh, it's gone. I know you know it, just that it's, you know. (laughs) Thank you. And share in his suffering. Now, in other Bible it says, and share in the fellowship of his suffering. I mean, this is where we enter into each other's pain. We, we enter into, you know, the painful experience. We suffer for the Lord. Some of our, you have shared in that fellowship to some extent. Okay, my time is going. So, uh, let me go to number five on why loving communities. Uh, let me finish with this on, on this, uh, it's because it's it's Paul's biblical model 
of how to build church. Now, you could read the whole epistles, and that's what I was doing, and you see a lot of that. Now, a friend of mine who is here uh, reminded me of First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 6 to 8. Uh, sorry for reading these scriptures, uh, so many scriptures. Oh, should we uh, be apologizing for reading scripture? <laughs> we should be reading scripture. First Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 6 to 8. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 6 to 8. Uh, if somebody finds this very quickly, because my sight is uh, interesting. Thanks, Rob. We were not looking for slaves from men, yeah. not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you have become so dear to us. Did you, did you hear that? We loved you so much. This is Paul telling the Thessalonian church when we were with you. We loved you so much that we were not only sharing the gospel with you, but we shared with you our own lives. I, I thought that, that's big. I thought this is fantastic. As a minister of the gospel, that challenged me. Because there are many times I stand Sunday in, Sunday out, and, you know, just do it. And it's become, it can become just a job. You, you, you know, you just do it. You've you, you got to preach the gospel. It's part of what you do in life. You, you know. But Paul says, no, it's, it was more than just sharing the gospel. We shared with you our lives. We loved you so much. And there's something about this that uh, is so attractive. Uh, you know, somebody was telling me that, you know, when, t- when you walk into church, you suddenly notice if the leaders are loving. I don't know how people notice that, but they do. They'll just see the way things are done, the way you treat people. Uh, uh, and uh, in, where we've come from, from legalistic backgrounds, you know, it's just rules and regulations, what do this and do that and do this and that. And that sometimes is suffocating. You just feel like, oh, um, maybe we're just being used to get this church to whatever it's doing. But beloved, when you have a leader like Paul who loves you so much, uh, you're willing just, uh, just to be there, just to do what? Because you feel the heart of this person. I'm challenged by Paul's heart. Paul modeled a loving community. To just be with people. I was with you. And I loved you. The second thing, beloved, is... So there I said Paul went beyond uh, proclamation to build a loving community, an authentic community, by he himself modeling it. I think that's a challenge to all of us leaders. We can't have a loving church until we as leaders are loving and people can see that. They'll see through that. Not just to tell them I love you. I mean... Uh, they've got to see it. Um, only love gives authenticity to the gospel we preach. Only love gives, uh, sharpens, and actually, uh, it gives authenticity to what I'm preaching. In fact, love is, you know, last night was powerful as we saw people being healed. I see in the ministry of Jesus that every miracle was preceded by, or not every miracle, but we notice most of the instances that there is an emotion on the part of Jesus. It says he looked at the crowds and he was filled with compassion. And out of that compassion, then he healed the sick. So the motivation behind everything that Jesus was doing is his love for people. And that challenges me as a leader because I want more miracles in our church. We want to see more people healed, more people. But do I just want to see more people healed so that I can have some statistics that people were healed? Or do I really love people so much that I want to see them healed? Uh, I mean, for their own sake, not for me. I, I just, you just, you know, you visit somebody in hospital and they're suffering. And you love them so much that when you're praying for them, it's not just a pastoral prayer. Uh, it's so compassionate. I just want to see them healed. If, you know, Lord, please heal them. Really. First uh, Corinthians 13. That one we know. Uh, but I... In that one, Paul begins now to, it becomes quite, quite interesting because we will read First Corinthians 13 and that's the love chapter about love. But what I'm interested in bringing out there is the biblical model of Paul of a loving community preceding everything we do. 
He mentioned things that we all are aiming for. He says, look, if I could speak in tongues of men and angels, and I have no love, I am just a sounding gong. Is that, whatever it says in your Bible, something like that. I'm just making noise. It says, you know. So, beloved, we could have churches that are so experiencing the charismatic in a powerful way. I'm re- that's my paraphrase. But without love, we're just making noise. He talks about prophecy. He said, look, if I could prophesy and have all the knowledge, all the words of knowledge, that I could look at you, I know your telephone number, I know your, you know, I could tell you where, where you've been, what you're feeling right now, which tent color you are in. Uh, and you say, this guy is powerful. But he says, but no love, all that is eh? nothing. He goes on to talk about faith. He says, if I have enough faith to move mountains, no love, it's nothing. As if that was enough, he comes to charity. He says, if I could give everything that I have, all the money that I have, and have no love, I've achieved nothing. It's almost like Paul looks at the different models we could have to build on, to focus on. And he says the foundation of all this should be love. Without love, a loving community, we can do all this stuff. Uh, we, we are into orphans. Uh, we've got a privilege uh, with our partners here, uh, Rope Church and others, to look after 70 or so plus now. Uh, uh, orphans who are into supporting them into school who otherwise have had no education. We, I mean, we, we just take the love of God to them and support them. Uh, we, uh, 40 of those are in our full-time uh, care, and we, we just thank God for the opportunity to do that. We taking the love of God into the communities, responding to the HIV pandemic, as well as the poverty levels in Africa. Um, but if we, we could all do all that, but without love, he says it's nothing. What am I saying? Paul is saying that uh, the best way to build church is love. It's a foundation. A loving community has the greatest reach. It has the highest impact. Can I pause? My time is almost going. Are you still with me? All right. Sometimes we want this community, but there's things that stop it from happening. Let me just list them. Um, Many of us, if you're a leader, you've tried to build this. But there's some pretty big challenges that sometimes stop. I'm calling them barriers. Let me just list them for you. A lack of experience of grace. You know, the key phrase in all this is Jesus says, love others as I have loved you. Grace-filled churches where people understand the grace of God. It becomes easier for them to release grace to other people because they have experienced grace. You understand what I'm talking about? So, uh, in situations where we are not preaching grace, it actually becomes very difficult for people to begin to treat others the way God has treated them because they don't understand how God has treated them. So I think preaching grace really uh, is a foundation of building loving relationship because when you're so thrilled with the grace of God, you have no option, my brother, my sister, but to give grace to others. Secondly, um, personality. Oh, we've had so many personality clashes in churches. Eh? A lot of problems we have is not because there's big problems. Sometimes it's just personality clashes. But I was interested if I had time to talk about uh, just um, personality. I do disc profiling, you know, personality profiling side thing I do. The disc one is an American one. Uh, you, you know, I do that and classify people in this and that. But without going into details, it classifies people broadly into two groups. Uh, 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 there are four groups, but two sides, the relational and the non-relational. And I found that easy at the beginning, but now I find it quite difficult. Uh, but I thank God I, I, I read the book by Tim LaHaye. Is it LaHaye? I don't know how you spell his name. Yeah. Entitled Spirit-Controlled Temperaments, 
who then began to show me that uh, the Spirit, when He fills you, uh, begin to uh, impact on the way you see things, including your personality. Yeah. Because, you know, why I'm using this as a barrier? Because some people just feel, look, this thing is for those who have a personality to, who are relational. Me, I'm not relational. Incidentally, uh, uh, when I did the profile, it came out that I'm one of those who are supposed to be not very relational. <laughs> so that's why this, this is very, very interesting. But because if, if you feel, look, uh, working with people makes me tired. Hanging around, you know, chatting for hours, it's not my cup of tea, you know. But here's what's interesting. These guys went into, the Christian profilers went into the Bible and tried to predict which profile uh, different characters were. When they came to Paul, they found that he was actually uh, a D, uh, what you may call a choleric. Yeah? And uh, so, he, he's not supposed to be very relational. But you know when you come to the scriptures, especially the latter part of Paul's writing to the various churches, the list of names... Uh, that he puts there, people he worked with, this, greet this one, tell this one, to, you, you know, this man would just love people. I, I think that I can't use uh, that classification as a reason not to love people, not to be relational, not to try and build a relational church because God, by the Spirit, has made us to be loving. Okay? Uh, I could have talked about past experiences. People who have been hurt before, when they come in, they usually have barriers, eh? And for good reasons. They feel, I can't open up. I've been hurt in another church. When I come here, I'm just doing Sunday and no more. You know, I had a, a couple like that. And, and I sympathize with them because, you know, I knew what they went through. And they just said, look, we don't want to give up, but, but we don't want to do certain things. Please just leave us alone. We won't do even small groups because that's where the trouble started. We'll just be doing Sunday. So, so there are people that could be, you know, uh, um, want this, but, you know, they put brakes on because of that. Culture uh, is another one. Um, I'm black. You're white. Uh, so how are we going to be there? You don't know my expectation. I don't know your expectation. And then we want to do church together. How does that work? You, you know, but... Uh, we looked at that yesterday. John did a fantastic job in that, and uh, uh, I think Deb was helping us this morning, uh, looking at cross-cultural stuff. But here is my take on cross-cultural thing. Whatever the culture, every culture understands love. Just love them. It, love in any language somebody sang. Um, uh, that whichever way you went, no matter how much or you understand or don't understand, if you can just love people, they'll get the message. They'll feel the love of God. We have people in Africa who come, and sometimes they don't know where to start from. I just said to them, look, whatever you do, just begin to show people the love of God, just in small ways. And that message comes through, whatever the culture is. Yeah. The final one I would have talked about in detail there is unforgiveness. If there is unforgiveness, building loving communities becomes very, very difficult. And leaders have to deal with that. And Paul was dealing with that uh, in Philippians when he wrote and he said, please uh, tell that lady and that lady uh, to get on with each other. Beloved, unforgiveness, things will happen. And uh, our ability to forgive people the way Christ has forgiven us, that will help us. What have I been trying to say here? Beloved, I've been trying to say this. God has called us to loving communities, to build communities that reflect who our Father is. God has called us to build churches that um, not only are loving, but amongst ourselves, we are full of accepting one another. We can forbear with one another. We can give each other space. We are honest with one another. Because that is the witness. Let me finish with John 13 verse 35. It says, By this will men know that you are my disciples. 
I call us that the, the, the longest reach a church can have. Beloved, when we love one another, men will see. We don't have to show them. They'll just see it. Loving churches have the longest reach because they become such a city on a hill. Loving in its character. And it, they just shine this sort of acceptance of uh, whether it's cultures, whether people are different, whether they are served or not served, whether they are likable or not likable. Uh, if we have love for one another, that's attractive to the people who are looking at us. And what will happen is it will draw people. It will draw people to, to, to the Lord um, in our communities. I do believe, uh, in closing, that even in the UK, that uh, that is irresistible. That there are so many lonely people who are looking for places where they can belong, where they can be loved and accepted. And that when, when they find that, then they are open to the gospel. May God help us to build loving churches. Amen. I've got to stop there because I'm out of time.